0: Welcome to The Broadcast Storm, Episode 126, How Cisco IP Phones Digitize Your Voice. Hey everybody, this is Kevin Wallace, and in this episode of The Broadcast Storm, we're going to discuss how spoken voice can be transformed into a series of ones and zeros. And one reason that this topic came to mind is that uh, Charles and I just finished up our Anarsi video training series. So we've created the two courses that you need for your CCMP Enterprise certification. Now we're moving on to our next courses. And Charles is going to go down the security track. He's going to be working on the Security Core video training series. Well, I'm going to be working on the Collaboration Core video training series. So I thought it might be fun in this episode to discuss a collaboration topic. And that is how we can represent human speech digitally. And to help understand this, think about when you go to a movie. If you're watching a movie traditionally, you're not watching smooth motion. It might look like smooth motion, but you're actually watching 24 individual pictures, 24 individual frames that are being presented in rapid succession. And by seeing 24 different images a second, the eye perceives that as fairly smooth motion. Well, it's similar with voice. If we take enough snapshots, if we take enough measurements of a uh, waveform of human speech, then we're going to be able to assign a number to each of those samples. And then we'll be able to, at the other end of the conversation, at the other end of the network, we'll be able to take those ones and zeros and convert them back into speech that a human can understand. And this is something that is occurring inside of our Cisco IP phones. But one of the big questions is, how many measurements, how many samples do we need to take every second to capture human speech. It's not 24 snapshots per second as we have with video. It's gotta be a lot larger. And when we're deciding how many samples to take, it's a balance between accurately reproducing the voice and using too much bandwidth. We could do oversampling where we take more samples than are needed. That's gonna give us good quality, but it takes up more bandwidth to represent the measurement of each of those samples. If we don't take enough samples, then as we play the game of connect the dots and rebuild the waveform at the other end, it's going to sound totally different. We're going to have an aliased signal. So what is that balance? Well, that balance was discovered in the late 1920s by an electrical engineer working at Bell Labs. His name was Harry Nyquist, and he came up with what we now call the Nyquist Theorem. And the Nyquist Theorem says if you want to accurately reproduce an analog waveform, the minimum number of samples you need to take equals twice the highest frequency that you're going to be sampling. So what is the highest frequency that we're going to be sampling with human voice? Well, the human ear, at least the young human ears that didn't listen to a lot of loud music like I did when I was a teenager, a young human ear should be able to hear in the frequency range of about 20 hertz at the low end to about 20,000 hertz at the high end. Do we want to encode that entire range of frequencies that the human ear can hear? probably not for human voice. Maybe for music, for accurate reproduction of music, yes. But for human voice, it's interesting that over 90% of the frequencies that contribute to human speech, they occur under 4,000 hertz. So that becomes the highest frequency that we really need to sample for human speech. So going by the Nyquist theorem, if 4,000 hertz, 4,000 cycles per second, that's the highest frequency that we want to sample, We need to double that number to come up with the number of samples we need to take per second. 4,000 times two, that gives us 8,000 samples per second. So imagine if you would the waveform that makes up human speech, and we're taking 8,000 measurements of the amplitude, of the volume, if you will, every second. We're going to assign a number to each of those measurements. And then at the other end of the conversation, the Cisco IP phone can convert those numbers back into their original waveform. It's like we're playing a game of connect the dots. We've got all these measurements, those are the dots, and we connect them, and that plays out the waveform. But there's a big misconception here. Many people skip a step when they think about this sampling. A lot of people think that when we take that sample, we measure the amplitude 8,000 times a second, they think that that measurement is instantly in a digital form. Actually, it's not. The initial process of sampling is called PAM, P-A-M, Pulse Amplitude Modulation. And after PAM is performed, the samples are still in an analog format. These samples consist of a single frequency, and they have amplitudes. In other words, they have volumes equaling the amplitudes of the sampled waveform at the instance of the sampling. So now that we have everything represented in this single frequency with different amplitudes, we've done pulse amplitude modulation. The next step to digitizing the voice waveforms is to take those PAM amplitudes and give them a number. So imagine that we have sort of a bar graph, a histogram. We've got bars going up and bars going down on a graph that has our xy-axis. And imagine having numbers on the y-axis and whatever number each of those bars, each of those samples is closest to, well, that's the number we're going to assign. But the next question is, on that y-axis where we have those numbers that we're going to be assigning to these different PAM amplitudes, how many numbers are we going to have? If we have a lot of numbers, that's going to require more bits to represent those numbers. So we're trying to have this balancing act of not using too much bandwidth. Well, here's a trick we can play. Instead of having numbers equally spaced on that y-axis, instead of having a linear scale in other words, what if we have a logarithmic scale? Did you ever use logarithmic graph paper back in high school? With our logarithmic graphs, things are not equally spaced the sort of scale in powers of 10. In other words, we're going to be able to take much more accurate measurements at low volumes and less accurate measurements at high volumes. And that's a good thing for a couple of reasons. Number one, most of our voice samples occur at lower volumes, so we're being more accurate for more samples. And if we were using that linear scale where things were not really matching up perfectly and we were just picking the closest number on that y-axis, there would be some background hiss, and that's called quantization noise. But if we have a logarithmic scale, we're being more accurate at the lower volumes, so there's less hiss at the lower volumes. And we're being less accurate at the higher volumes, and yes, we're going to have some quantization noise, but since the volume is so high, we're drowning out a lot of that quantization noise, so it's not as noticeable. Those are a couple of benefits of using a logarithmic scale. So how many bits are we going to use to represent this dot, this amplitude of this sample that occurs every 1 8,000th of a second. Well, on this logarithmic scale, our waveform could be above the x-axis or it could be below the x-axis. It's a continually varying waveform. In other words, it can be positive or negative. So we're going to have one bit called the polarity bit that says, are we above or are we below the x-axis? Is it a positive or a negative polarity? One bit tells us that. Then, this logarithmic scale is divided into different segments. And there will be 3 bits to represent which segment our amplitude falls within. And within each of those segments, we've got smaller measurement intervals called steps. And we're going to have 4 bits to represent what step within a segment that our amplitude is closest to. So again, 1 polarity bit, 3 segment bits, and 4 step bits. That's going to be 8 bits per sample. And Mr. Nyquist said we should be taking 8,000 of those samples every second. So, what do we have if we multiply 8 bits per sample by 8,000 samples per second? That gives us a bandwidth of 64,000 bits per second, 64 kilobits per second. And that's what we see with uncompressed voice. If you take a look at a T1 digital circuit that phone companies use, that circuit is divided into 24 channels. And each of those channels accommodate 64 kilobits per second. That's where this number comes from. And the way our Cisco IP phones are going to encode and decode these numbers is through the use of a codec, which is short for Coder Decoder. And if we do what is considered to be lossless encoding, where we are using 64,000 bits per second, the codec we're using might be something like G.711. So if you hear that somebody is using G.711 as their codec, that means they're going to have really good voice quality because they're not doing any compression of the voice. And we can also have G.722 do that as well. And more codecs are coming out all the time. Those are just a couple of examples. And what we've done with G.711 is used pulse code modulation, or PCM. We have not done compression. We've just done encoding. But sometimes, for bandwidth reasons, we want to squeeze things down a little bit. One option is to use Adaptive Differential PCM. That's abbreviated as AD PCM. What AD PCM does is use a difference signal. Instead of encoding an entire sample, it sends what changed since the previous sample. That's going to take up less data. An example of a codec that uses that is G.726. More popular than Adaptive Differential PCM, though, is Conjugate Structure Algebraic Code Excited Linear Prediction, or CS-ACELP for short. That is a mouthful. What this does is dynamically build a codebook based on speech patterns, and then it uses a look-ahead buffer to see whether the next sample matches a pattern that's already in the codebook. And if it is, instead of sending the sample, we just send the location in the codebook. To help visualize how this works, imagine that you and I are going to be having a conversation across a digital circuit. And you notice that frequently in my speech pattern, I make the ing sound, ing. I say words like routing, or compressing, or reading. And instead of digitizing the I-N-G, that ing sound every time I say it, what you do is make an entry in a book that you have. It's called a codebook that describes what the ing sound sounds like. And I make the same entry in my codebook. Now in the future, instead of me having to digitize that I-N-G sound and sending that series of ones and zeros to you, I simply send you the location of that sound in your codebook. Instead of sending that sound, I might say, as a metaphor, Look up that location in your codebook on page 51, line 30 as an example. You look at that location in your codebook and you find the binary code for making that ING sound. Now the advantage of doing this instead of sending the actual sound is I'm only sending you the location of that sound in your codebook. That's going to take up a lot less bandwidth than sending the actual digitized sound. And a popular codec that you see in uh, Cisco IP phones that uses this conjugate structure algebraic code excited linear prediction approach is G.729. And there are a few variants of G.729. For example, we have G.729A that uses a less complex algorithm that saves on processor utilization, and as a trade-off we get a little less quality. It's still really good, but it's a little less quality because we're saving on processor to do all the math required by the codec. Another variant of G.729 is G.729B. That uses something called VAD, Voice Activity Detection. In other words, if I've not spoken in a period of time, instead of encoding the sound of silence, we can just suppress the sending of voice. And our phones and our routers, they're smart enough to know not to just send pure silence. That would be creepy. It will have sampled some background noise, so it sort of knows what the noise floor is when I'm not speaking. And it can just send that out to you when I'm not saying anything. Or we could have a combination of both. We could have G.729AB which gives us the lower processor utilization and voice activity detection. Now, how much bandwidth does G.729 take up compared to G.711? Well, G.711, and we're talking payload only here, no overhead, payload only, G.711 took up 64 kilobits per second. G.729 only takes up 8 kilobits per second of bandwidth. And another really popular codec you might see out there is ILBC, Internet Low Bitrate Codec. And depending on how it's implemented, it might take up anywhere from about 13 kilobits per second to about 15 kilobits per second. And it's really similar to the way G.729A works, but it's a little bit more accurate in its measurement. And the trade-off is we're using a little bit more bandwidth. So think about picking up that handset on your Cisco IP phone and talking to somebody on the other end. Imagine what's happening. The voice coming out of your mouth is going into that receiver in the handset that you're holding... And the circuitry inside of the Cisco IP phone is doing pulse amplitude modulation and using a single frequency to represent the volumes 8,000 times per second in your voice waveform. And then those PAM samples are being applied over what we could think of as a logarithmic scale. And we're assigning a number or a series of bits, typically 8 bits, to represent the polarity and the volume, the amplitude of each of those 8,000 samples per second. And that series of bits can be sent over the wire to the other end where the process is reversed and the far end Cisco IP phone takes those samples and regenerates the volumes by using the same logarithmic scale, by using the same codec that the sender is using. So I hope this discussion has given you a little bit of appreciation for some of the inner workings of our Cisco IP phones and maybe it's made you a bit curious about the collaboration track where we're setting up Cisco IP phones, and voicemail, and lots of other things. And if you are curious about that, great news, we're going to be sharing some additional collaboration content on our YouTube channel and on our podcast over the next few months as I'm developing out this collaboration core video training series. Oh, by the way, as a celebration that we've now finished the Enterprise track, we finished, in other words, the CCNA video training series, the Encore and the Inarcy video training series, For our podcast listeners, I want to give you 25% off of any of those courses that you would like. And I'll have the links with that 25% discount in the show notes of this episode. And on that note, we'll wrap up this episode. And I look forward to spending time with you again on the next episode of the broadcast storm.